yam yam vapi smaran bhavam to ajanchyante kalevaram tam tam evaiti kanteya sada tad bhava bhavita whatever state of being one remembers when he quits his body O son of Kunti, that state he will attain without fail. Majana Trimanandasya, Jinajana Salakaya, Chakshuran Militanyena, Tasmai Sri Gurave Namaha. I was born in the darkness of ignorance, but my spiritual master has opened my eyes. With the torchlight of knowledge, I offer my most respectful obeisances unto him. Such a significant verse. In fact, this whole eighth chapter basically is focused on this very important concept of the consciousness at the time of death. That's the main, the main focus of this, this chapter of Bhagavad Gita. Uh, it's actually an art, the art of dying. In fact, uh, George Harrison wrote a song, The Art of Dying. So how important it is, the art of dying. Of course, human society has little interest in the art of, of, of living, what to speak of the art of dying. Uh, they, they know none of the uh, uh, modern society is simply uh, li- living an animalistic life. Uh, they don't even know how to enjoy life, although they, uh, they think that uh, eating, drinking, being merry is, uh, is uh, the be-all and end-all of existence. In fact... Uh, such mentality and such uh, a lifestyle uh, only increases the miseries of material existence. There is a proper way that we can enjoy in this world, and there is an improper way. Uh, modern society has little knowledge, as Krishna provides in Bhagavad Gita, and as Krishna's devotees provide, as to how to conduct affairs and, and live a, a fruitful life, and also end this life properly, as Krishna is speaking uh, of here naturally at the time of death your whole life flashes before your eyes before your consciousness consciousness it therefore is is important that uh, that we mold our consciousness and mold our lifestyle in such a way that at that final examination like Jayadweta Swami spoke last week it's a test and we're going to either pass it or fail it. Now, of course, we get to take it over and over and over again <laughs> until we get it right. But uh, who really has to go through that test uh, again and again and again? It's, it's not a very uh, pleasant experience, is it? Uh, it's so unpleasant that we don't remember how bad it was. Material nature really protects us. So generally, uh, Krishna explains in Bhagavad Gita that uh, we can't remember our past life uh, because the, the, the trauma of death basically uh, you know, clears the consciousness. How to attain the proper consciousness at the time of death is the focus of this eighth chapter. Uh, so I'm going to go back and we're going to go through these verses. And of course, Arjuna first is inquiring as to, Krishna, what did you really mean when you brought up the, these various points? Could you explain them for, uh, for me uh, 
fully. And that's the nature of, of, of our spiritual advancement, is we inquire. Whenever we don't fully understand something, then we inquire. It's not a matter of, of blind faith. We should never go to a, a professed spiritual, uh, spiritual instructor and simply accept everything he says just on blind faith. We must use our intelligence. Now, of course, that intelligence is tempered with an understanding of the position of a spiritual master, of a teacher. So if he's as if, if you can perceive in his character a spiritual existence, then naturally, such an exalted soul we offer all respect to. And we inquire submissively. Krishna explains in Bhagavad Gita, in the fourth chapter, Tadvidi pranipatena pari prashnena sevaya. Just try to learn the truth by approaching a spiritual master. Inquire from him submissively, rendering service. Self-realized soul can impart knowledge unto you because he's seen the truth. So it's not a blind process. And it's also not simply an intellectual process. It's not simply, spiritual life is not simply that we acquire some education in the science of the self and then we have it figured out. It also requires that there be some, some, some seva, some service, some bhakti, surrender of the heart to that inquiry. And Krishna explains that in the 18th chapter, that only by devotional service can I be known. It's service and submissive inquiry. Arjuna, he wants to fully understand what Krishna's explained at the end of the 7th chapter. And he's asking, please tell me exactly what, what these terms you've used mean. So first, what is Brahman? What is the self? What are fruitive activities? What is this material manifestation? And what are the demigods? Please, please explain this to me. Adiyatmic, Adiyatman, Karma, Adibaltam, and Adidaivam. These four items are there. What is Brahman? What is Atma? What do, what do you mean by Atma? Who is the Lord of Sacrifice who lives in the body? O Madhusudana. And how can those engaged in devotional service know you at the time of death? So Krishna begins to answer these. And he answers them just in the same order that Arjuna has presented them. He begins, Supreme Personality of Godhead said, The indestructible transcendental living entity is called Brahman, and his eternal nature is called Adiyatma, or the self. Action pertaining to the development of the material bodies of the living entities is called karma or fruit of activities. So first of all, the Brahman that Krishna is speaking of here is not some nebulous energy. It involves the self, an individual living entity, our self. We are the Atma. The Atma and Brahman, Krishna is referring to here, this Brahman is that 
spiritual substance, which is our true self. And it's not that that Brahman, that substance, our spiritual, our spiritual reality, I guess you would say, it's not that that is in the ultimate issue some impersonal thing. It's not that we have been embodied and when we lose our embodiment in the, in the material energy, as the Mayavad school professes, that our Atma leaves. So Krishna makes the point, the indestructible transcendental living entity. And Krishna's, at the very beginning of Bhagavad Gita, he made these points very clear. Never was a time when you did not exist, nor I, nor all these kings, nor in the future shall any of us cease to be. The self is the same, although all the changes are there. Now, he goes on to explain action pertaining to the development of material bodies of the living entities is called karma. So he makes a distinction. There's action that pertains to the development of a material body. That action is karma. That action is karma. Well, there's also action that we can perform that isn't karma, that isn't going to result in the creation of another body. So, and that action, that action is on the transcendental platform. So when we work in relationship with the body, then in all likelihood, our consciousness will be centered on a bodily existence and we will be given another material body in the field of karma if that's where our activities are. Now we can also work in such a way that our activities will not result in another body and, that are, and those activities are the activities on the spiritual platform. What's that mean, those activities on the spiritual platform? Mm-hmm. O oh, best of the embodied beings, the physical nature, which is constantly changing, is called Atibhauta. I'm sorry, Adibhuta, the material manifestations. The universal form of the Lord, which includes all the demigods, like those of the sun and the moon, is called Adidaiva. And I, the Supreme Lord, represent the Lord as the super soul in the heart of every embodied being and called Adi Yajna, the Lord of sacrifice. Again, we're dealing with technical terms here so that we can understand exactly what, what exactly is the field of activity and we can understand it properly. So first, physical nature, Adi Bauta. Everything that we come in contact with within the material world is of this substance. We either come in contact with other material bodies or other material elements. So that is the field of material activity. Now, controlling this field of material activities is higher energy the higher principle. And that higher principle are, is daiva, adi-daivik. Adi-daivik comprises 
It comprises of the Supreme Lord who is spread throughout his material creation, through his various energies. But just like any huge enterprise, there has to be departments. In the ultimate issue, all those departments and those departmental heads reside in the Supreme Lord as he manifests his energy through the material universe. But he has departmental heads, and these departmental heads are, are referred to as demigods. And they, they're, they basically control the light of the sun, the light of the moon. Just like in our government, we have the Department of Defense, Department of Treasury. God also has departments. He doesn't you know, do it all personally himself, although he can if he wants. He gives opportunities to his devotees who still have some taste for material control, material life. He gives them a nice cushy job in the government. They recognize him as the supreme. Now the rest of us down here, generally speaking, there's little recognition of the supreme lord and no one wants to work for him. There is another class of godly personalities which are Krishna's devotees and those living entities, if they still have some tinge of desire for material control, material enjoyment, they're given a pretty a, a good position. And therefore, they, they're put in charge of running this material manifestation for the Supreme Lord. But under his direction, they don't work independently, but they actually are following the Supreme Lord's direction. And he's because they're in Krishna consciousness, although it may not be unalloyed Krishna consciousness, they still have some taste for material involvement, but because they at least accept the Supreme Lord and follow his direction, they have these responsible posts, and they control everything that happens within this material world, and they're referred to as demigods. So they control sunlight, moonlight, the, the, the oceans, the airs. They control what happens to us at the time of death. The demigods generally fall into two categories, and the administrative demigods are, are what's being referred to here. Krishna's careful to make the distinction that in the ultimate issue, he is that Adi Daiva. He is that divine energy, and that we should not see these functional controllers as being independent of him. Therefore, the significance is there that, and we said it time and again, that Prabhupada always used the analogy of watering a tree. If you want the water that you give to a tree to, to go to every part of the tree and fully nourish the tree, you put it on the root. Not that you try to water into each individual leaf or the bark or anything else. You put the water on the root, it's distributed nicely. Similarly, if you want to eat something, you give the food to the mouth, the mouth to the stomach, and then the whole body is nourished. So similarly, we should be intelligent enough to not worship those functional deities, those demigods, independent of Krishna. 
we should worship them and offer respect to them only in relationship with the Supreme Lord. Otherwise, it's kind of like a bribe in government. Well, let me go and I'll just give some money to the functionary that I want to get what I want. Always, We need to always remember, and Krishna's point here in explaining what is Adi Daivi, is we need to see it in relationship with, with Krishna. That doesn't mean that we're disrespectful to the demigods. Then, the last question, Adi Yajna, the Lord of Sacrifice. And Krishna explains here that in this instance it refers to himself as residing in the heart of every living entity and fulfilling everyone's desire. And being that that supreme recipient of whatever sacrifice we may perform for material upliftment or material facility or spiritual upliftment. One would naturally question why Krishna here in this 8th chapter which centers on how to get death right so that we don't have to take birth again because at the time of death our, our consciousness is fixed spiritually in service to the Supreme. Why would Krishna recommend this process? Now, do you, you see what I'm getting at here? Krishna here in Bhagavad Gita is saying this is how you get death right. This is how you liberate yourself from the cycle of birth and death. You fix your consciousness on me as the Supreme Lord at the time of death. You don't have to take material birth again. So Krishna has given instruction here in Bhagavad Gita which seems to be conditional. Right? He's Mm -hmm. saying, you fix your consciousness during your life on me in this way, think of me in this way, and you're not, you're not going to have to take birth again. But we know the platform of unalloyed devotion. So Krishna's not speaking of unalloyed devotion here, is he? He's speaking of, well, if you devote yourself to me, I can liberate you from the cycle of samsara, from repeated birth and death. So this is, this is conditional devotional service. This is not pure, unalloyed devotional service. Now when Krishna comes as an example of the perfect devotee, how does he pray? Naranam najanam nasundarim. Kavitram daan jagadisha kavan. Mama janmani janmani sware. Mama janmani janmani sware bhavatad bhakti rahaitaki twain. I don't care if I take birth again and again and again. I only want your devotional service, birth after birth. Thus, a distinction between pure devotional service and mixed devotional service. As Lord Chaitanya, Krishna is giving us a higher understanding of the principle of pure love of Godhead than Krishna gives himself on the battlefield of Kurukshetra to Arjuna at this point in the Bhagavad Gita. Again, remember, Bhagavad Gita is an introductory text and it applies to all human society. 
So Krishna is giving this instruction because there's naturally a class of men who are concerned about ending the cycle of samsara. And they are not yet knowledgeable of a higher level of spiritual existence which is so transcendentally blissful that the participant in that level of loving service to the Lord could care less where he is. Whether he's in heaven or hell, whether he's in Vaikuntha with the Supreme Lord personally or residing on the earthly planet serving Krishna, he sees no distinction. He is so completely absorbed in transcendental ecstasy through that loving exchange with the Lord, it doesn't matter if he's taken a material birth or he hasn't. He is only interested in that highest level of spiritual exchange with the Lord. Now, ultimately in Bhagavad Gita, Krishna will bring in the conclusion this complete knowledge Engage your mind always in thinking of me. Offer obeisances, worship me. Being completely absorbed in me, certainly you will come to me. Here, in this chapter, Krishna is specifically addressing ending life properly so there is no rebirth under the influence of karma. Still, I mean, you still have the, the test at the end of your life. Well, we know we know Krishna rewards his devotees ultimately with that highest, you know, no more material birth. But there's there's distinction as as Prabhupada, did you read the verses? Prabhupada points out in the in the purport. Not everyone attains the same destination. Those yogis, those devotees of the Lord, who worship the Lord uh, in Vaidhi Bhakti and do not progress above that, they worship the Archana form of the Lord in regulation without association of the unalloyed pure devotees who give knowledge of Krishna's intimate pastimes, his intimate personality, then they advance to the Vaikuntha planets, but they don't enter in because there is there's still a tinge. Appreciation for the Lord due to his position. Okay, there's still a tinge of appreciation of the Lord due to his opulences. Krishna's pure unalloyed devotees take their followers, beyond that platform of awe and reverence to a higher platform, a loving exchange with the Lord, free of appreciation and worship in awe and veneration. Going to that platform uh, requires that, part of that process requires that there's not 
the desire for any reciprocation with the Lord, uh, any business arrangement, it's devoid of all that. So that doesn't mean that you can't, there isn't a class and, a, and certain devotees who worship the Lord simply to attain liberation and associate with Him and worship Him in awe and reverence. But their destination is not the same as those fortunate devotees who are given shelter under Krishna's unalloyed servitors and learn how to love him uh, without any condition whatsoever. And basically, yes, ma'am. Is that kind of like his, like um, when Krishna is here, like his parents and the gopis, they don't think, oh, this is God. They just think, I just love him and everything he does. Yes. But it's not like they even... They, av- they advance so far. Like, oh, he's so great. They just see him as a child that they love so much. They just can't see him. Yes. They advance so much in their love under the direction of, of people who are in love with Krishna that way. Right. They advance so much in their love under that direction that Krishna, in order to fully reciprocate with them, in that affection of love, whatever it may be, Whatever, whether it be friendship or, or parental or even conjugal. I mean, that's even available. They love him so much in that way that Krishna has to use his special energy to cloud their awareness of his supreme position. So we're talking very high esoteric levels of spiritual exchange with the Lord. But I wanted to make the point here is because every week and we study according to Lord Chaitanya, we're following, you know, Rupa Goswami, the Goswamis, the direct disciples of Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. That is our disciplic succession. Therefore, the knowledge that we obtain in our line is that knowledge which exceeds this kind of mixed devotion where there is a desire even for liberation. So therefore we may question, well, Krishna is saying you worship like this for liberation. That's okay. That's all right. We just have the grand good fortune of being privy to a higher level of transcendental love for the Supreme Lord that even exceeds this level. Does that make sense? You want to say something? Well, you know, something you had said earlier, sort of like people that are, let's say, buried in the educational part, you know, they're buried in the books, they're buried in the duty. It seems like it's almost tied to that versus some of the guys that are in their heart, you know, like they really take it upon themselves that they right. feel something. Because I think, you know, <clears throat> men seem, at least to me, men seem much more geared towards a book. They can convince their mind and their heart may follow, whereas women are a little more heartfelt. Mm-hmm. But you're trying to find that, you know, that balance or really more towards, you know, just taking it in your heart. I mean, is that kind of what you, you know? It's, <clears throat> it's important to note that we follow a process where in the beginning, of course, under the direction, even though even though we're so fortunate as to be in a line of disciplic succession that 
that centers on Raganuga Bhakti, affectionate relationship with the Supreme Lord. We start off uh, under their direction to control ourselves and rid ourselves of material desire by following the practice of sadhana bhakti, vaidhi bhakti. So therefore, we're given the process of archana. We're given the regulations of, of uh, vaidhi bhakti in order to get our senses under control and to clear ourselves of unwanted habits, of anarthas. The process for both schools is the same. But the good fortune of the of the of having the good fortune of, of coming in the wake of Lord Chaitanya's advent is the fact that his followers and and Lord Chaitanya's intent Lord Chaitanya's intent in his descent was to give that level of devotional service which was never given before. It's given in the wake of Lord Krishna's Advent once in the day of Brahma. This level of devotional service, Raga Bhakti. So there's three processes devotional service in practice, and then devotional service in ecstasy, devotional service in pure love of God. So in the beginning, we follow the process. Just like any, any practitioner of spiritual life, you've got to get free of material desire. So we naturally follow that process. Very few people, very few sadhakas, practitioners of devotional service, immediately come to practice devotional service and are already on the platform of Raganuga Bhakti. Raganuga Bhakti means you already have an affectionate relationship with the Lord and you perform your service out of that affectionate relationship. We follow the same program. We follow Vaidhi Bhakti, but we follow with the intent of coming to the platform of Raganuga Bhakti, of loving out of pure affection. But that comes after Anartha Nivriti. And then after Anartha Nivriti... Uh, there's Nista, Ruchi, uh, you know, Asakti, Bhava, and Prema. So there's a natural progression. But that natural progression, uh, specifically in, in, in the wake of Lord Chaitanya's advent, is, is extremely unique in that it, uh, it centers on that topmost platform of Raganuga Bhakti, loving the Lord in affection. We can't jump to that platform artificially. And those, those practicing Vaishnavas that true try to jump to an intimate understanding of the Lord's conjugal relationships, let's say. Or uh, they simply make a fool of themselves because they, they try to apply their mundane mind to that which is beyond uh, comprehension with, it, with these, this mind and senses. That's not a thing that you plan. We want to get there. We plan. We plan to advance to that level, but we don't jump there artificially. Uh, returning to the meat of this, in the sense that that we're preparing for death, right? Yes. In the sense that Krishna is saying, you know, if you remember me at the time of death, surely you will attain me. Right. Uh, I'm not necessarily 
seeing it, uh, not that I'm, I'm not considering, but in material, like what you were saying earlier a little bit, like it's a material bargain. Because just recently reading the sixth canto with Dadichi, when Dadichi is going to give up his body, mm-hmm. he says to the demigods, he says, that death is severe. Mm-hmm. He uses the word severe, and he says painful. Definitely painful. Definitely yes. painful, definitely severe. It's something we can't even imagine. We forget, like you said. We forget. We've done it before, but we forget. It's so bad. So right. on that level, at that moment, with that much kind of pain, with that much severity, it seems to me that that would be an enormously transcendental act to remember Krishna. Krishna. It is. And, and Prabhupada, did you read the four points? Yes. Prabhupada yes. talks so specifically what, about, yeah. about the fact, uh, Kulakshetar, what's he, what's he say? My mind is set now. I'm of good health. I'm in good mind. And I'm really Krishna conscious now. I'm chanting my rounds. I'm yeah. following. I'm together. Can I die now? Yeah. <laughs> Please, take me now. My concentration got, is so good now. Yes, yes. So, uh, you know, and that's one of the disadvantages of Kali Yuga. You know? Yeah, yeah. But yes, yes. The point's, Krishna's not giving this instruction here for us to be neglectful. Right. We're just talking about there is a level of Raganuga Bhakti that surpasses even this, where the devotee is so absorbed in loving ecstasy. He's beyond the bloody platform. You're not going to get there artificially. We're not talking about not being worried about not having to take rebirth. As long as we're attached to this material body, we want to, we want to make sure that we don't take another material birth. But there is a platform of devotional service which is so transcendentally elevated where they don't even care. Right. Now that's a little different. And that's why you're relating to Chaitanya. Yes. Exactly. And that's, that's the specific... That's really what we aspire to, but we go in steps. We're not going to jump immediately to a platform where I don't care if I take rebirth again. You're not going to do that artificially, no. So Your point's well taken. He's merciful in giving us a long life. Huh? An opportunity for a long life. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Does everybody suffer, really? I mean, we don't remember, but still. Does everyone suffer at the well, time of well, death? Yeah, the, the body, definitely. If you're in a body, you're going to be... Yeah. Now, if your consciousness is fully absorbed transcendentally, you're not going to notice it. But yes. I guess it Expect depends it. also the way you die. Even Prabhupada himself, on his deathbed, he looked at one disciple, his, I guess the disciple was looking at him in a certain way, and he says, do not think that you will not soon be here. <laughs> 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 yes, sir. Famous last but words. I like your last birthday message to me. But, you know, you were saying this, you know, with suffering usually... Suffering at the time of death, it seems like a lot of times it's some sort of, let's say, you know, you, there's some time. And if we're lucky. Of, yeah. Well, there's some devotees that have been, you know, I mean, a lot of devotees have passed, you know, passing away. And a lot of them are going through these sort of long periods, maybe, you know, this or that. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, to me, I mean, and this is just my, from an outside perspective, Krishna is giving them that time to focus. I mean, yes. Really, really focus yourself. I mean, whereas you're that's an extreme good fortune. Yes. You can't even. You know, who knows what you're thinking yeah, about? Right. Unfortunately, you're, you're supposed to be thinking about Krishna at the time of death. Yeah. 
if it's over like that. But yeah. at the same time, if you have this period of time, you can watch this. Mm-hmm. There's some there's some real focus and, and death and disease. You know, any kind of limitation focuses you even more. I mean, it brings it down to a point. You know, I mean, when you know that it's it's coming. You well, know? yeah. If you didn't see the car coming though, yeah, from the motorcycle or. That's you know, the but if you sleep in your sleep, you're unconscious. Yeah. So what are you gonna do? But the mind will. <laughs> I unfortunately don't dream about Krishna. The mind will reappear in your mind, and that's. Well, that's yeah. That's why we chant every day. That's why we chant a fixed number of rounds. That's why we fix our mind on Krishna. I think it would be very hard, you know, the dying, the you know, they say people die in their sleep. There's, there's got to be a moment where you have awareness that you're being ripped out of your body. You know, and it's that point that would probably be very hard. Like if you're giving up your body, I saw my mom go through it. You know, like she determined when she wanted to die. She's I'm going now. You know, so that's like, you know, you can be very conscious about that. You know, and she had a long preparation. She had a very long illness. Well, it wasn't so long, but, you know, she had that time to, uh, you know, it's a focus, yes. It's a very, it's a, it's. So, so what, what? I'll just close on one note because it's, it's. I'm going way over. Um, I always go all the way over. Anyway, you'll notice in the purports here, if you read this week, the Prabhupada emphasizes whenever, he, whenever these verses, what's he say again and again? He brings up the Maha Mantra. If we're going to come to a platform where we're going to do the right thing at death, we have to fix our mind on Krishna's holy name during our life. That's the way we prepare for death, is we chant every day, we chant thoughtfully, and prayerfully, and meaningfully, not just doing it as a matter of, well, I've got to do this. But we do it desiring to, to fix our mind on Krishna, knowing that someday the time will come, it may come today, it may come tomorrow, when the chanting is really going to count. And if we haven't practiced our chanting right during our life, then what's the chance of chanting nicely at the time of death? So we'll cover these points a little bit more next week. And specifically, Krishna goes on to discuss specifically Karma Mishra Bhakti. Next week we'll be studying on Karma Mishra. That means mixed devotional service of the, of the yogi. Again, Mishra means there is some mixture. So, Karma Mishra. Some mixture of karma. Wanting to make sure that there's an elimination of karma. It's not pure unalloyed devotional service. That was the point I'm trying to make. That doesn't mean that it's a bad thing. It just means we want to get beyond that, but the only way to get beyond that is we have to develop our transcendental affection for the Lord. And that we can do in the association of devotees and following strictly the regulative parts of devotional service will allow us to rise to that platform above that practice. But still, that practice is required for our spiritual advancement. Any other questions? I was just asking myself, but at the time when the soul leaves the body, is the death very short? Or let's say you remember Krishna. We're given some indication in, in relationship with the life of Ajameel. Okay? In the life of Ajameel, 
you know, there are specific representatives who either are going to pick you up and train you up for another body, or you'll be so fortunate as to have Krishna's, Krishna's uh, associates come and, and whisk you away to his to that universe where Krishna's personally enacting his pastimes now so you can be really trained to go. So I'm sure that there is some time there. And for the very sinful, there is some unfortunate time where they're kept in a subtle body and their training is, is very severe. And that's explained in the fifth canto of Srimad Bhagavatam. So, yes ma'am. I always um, worry about this too. Like, oh my gosh, you know, you think, what, what if I die this way? What if I die that way? What, you know? But then my husband always reminds me that also, if you take one step towards Krishna, he takes ten steps towards you. So, I mean, even at that time of death, isn't it? I mean, Krishna will show you some mercy. I mean, you can't count on that necessarily, but if your life is truly devoted to him, even if it's traumatic or it's difficult. Yes, Krishna guarantees that in Bhagavad Gita. I, mean, I preserve what they have. Yeah. He's not going to take anything no, away. No, I mean, whatever you've done up until that point is going to still, still go. Even if there's some traumatic... Uh, it's funny, I, I uh, Sachinandana Swami, uh, I think you can find it on YouTube. He talks about the fact that he, he practically died. He has a, had an infection. And uh, he was on the operating table, and they, uh, they somehow he was unattended. He fell off the operating table. His guts flew out onto the floor, and, and he got an infection and practically died. Now, you can watch a lecture of his, I believe it's on YouTube, where he's talking to his disciples, and he says, you do not need to worry. Krishna will be right there when you need him the most. He's right there to help you out. So, I don't think we need to worry. It's a nice lecture. Isn't it almost offensive to worry? In a way? Because you, you have to have faith and confidence in the, in the chanting of the Holy Spirit. Well, no, it's not offensive. I'll, I'll just tell one thing here, and then I've got to stop. Prabhupada okay. <laughs> said, there's one, he says, he said, uh, your difficulty is you're not afraid enough of Maya. <laughs> You're not sufficiently scared enough of Maya. If you really knew how bad material life was, we forget how bad material life is. So no, we should keep that, we should always be aware. And all we have to do is uh, open up the newspaper or whatever, you can see how terrible it is out there and how people are suffering. Thank you very much. Hare Krishna.